if you will, please welcome Charlie Abraham to give us some word this morning. so good to be here again. Um, I'm always happy when people invite me back and don't stone me after church or anything like that. So it's, uh, it's always, always, always good to be here. Um, while you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew 4, I want to share a couple of things with you. Um, I have uh, two, two dreams to share with you. Um, there was uh, a back just in the last week of December, going into the, the uh, first week of, of this month, um, there were two dreams that were brought to me by a very close friend of mine, I, I would consider really a covenant friend. And, um, and what I, you know, when I say covenant, I mean covenant as far as assignment. Uh, if you're part of the body, we're in covenant together. So the, the blood's made us one. Um, but there's a, there's a, a very uh, close connect there and, uh, and I was in both dreams, and that's why they, um, they brought it to me. And uh, um, dream interpretation has been something just probably since I was 19 or 20 years old that just happened to be something that God uh, had, had graced in my life. And so I've, I've really enjoyed that. I don't always have the dream, but it, it amazes me how often God will, will give something. And... Um, in uh, the last week of December, uh, my friend brought this, this dream to me and said that we were standing by a river and we're, we were getting ready to have a water baptism and um, the water was extremely muddy. It was, it was higher than it normally was and it was, uh, you couldn't see through it at all. Uh, very, very dark, very murky. And, uh, uh, but, and we were waiting on the person to baptize. And so we were getting ready to, to go do something that Jesus has commissioned us to do. And I was uh, approaching the bank and just took off running. Uh, left my shoes, dropped my phone. And while I was, I was diving in, my friend started yelling at me, just screaming, don't, don't go in. You, here, measure, measure this out first. And said they had a, a, a measuring rod to measure the depth of the river to see if it was all right or if it was safe to enter into that place so we could go ahead and, and do the baptism. Instead of measuring the river, uh, I, I went ahead and dove in and disappeared. There was no bubbles, there was no body, there was no nothing, but I was just, I was never seen again. And so when, when I, I took it to prayer, um, and just really begin to seek the Lord about uh, what, he was, what he was saying. There is a, a very real need for a spirit of wisdom uh, with counsel in the earth. And I, when I say that, it messes with some of the American-isms in us because, you know, and with some of my church experience because not all counsel is good counsel. Not all counsel is wise counsel. Amen. You know that. If you've ever asked for advice, you'll find out. It's, most times you wish you hadn't. Amen. But there's, there's a need for it. One of the anointings and graces that was on Jesus, according to Isaiah 11, was a spirit of counsel. And so we know that with good counsel, according to Scripture, in the multitude of wise counsel, there's safety. 
And so he said, with wise counsel, uh, even a wise king, a good king would go to war and would experience victory. And so there, there's, there's a, a pressing need for a spirit of wisdom in the earth. Uh, and we know that because of the chaos. Because wherever you find wisdom, you'll find order. And where you have the right kind of order, it actually allows for the increase of the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And so one of the things that the Holy Spirit had shared with me several years ago is he said, he asked me a question. He said, what do you have if the river has no banks? And I said, well, you have a swamp. And he said, he said the boundaries, the borders actually give place for to help direct and release the flow of the river for a longer uh, space of distance. And so people downstream are able to get blessed by the river because it has banks. If there's no banks, then you have a small area that's saturated with just enough water to attract creatures that nobody wants to deal with. Unless you're one of those, you know, kind of folks that likes snakes and, you know, such. So the, the, what we don't want is we don't want to, uh, to waste what we have. In, in spirituality because we, we hear certain things and it just sets, uh, you know, a certain eh off in us. And so what happens is, is the, the order, order actually created a, a way for the river to flow and edify people better. And so th- there was no lack of the gifts of the Spirit for the Corinthian church. They didn't lack the anointing. They didn't lack the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't lack the manifestations. What they did lack was the, 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 the wisdom to be able to use what they had in the best way to edify people. And so Paul didn't say, stop doing this. He just said, you need to do it in a way that's going to build people up better. Because it, it's useless to have the power of the Holy Spirit, but let us get in the way and end up hurting people with something that was meant to be a blessing. And so we don't want a swampy church. <laughs> we don't want a swampy church. What we do want is we want a church where the, the spirit of wisdom's at work in a way that creates an atmosphere that, that doesn't diminish the power of God, but actually creates a space for the power of God to, to, to really to be celebrated in, in a more edifying way. Now hang with me. And so one of the things that we need in the earth and one of the things that we need in the nation is a very real release of the spirit of wisdom because there's so much deception moving through. And and I'm, you know, don't worry, I ain't ain't getting into, I said I ain't up north. Well, hallelujah. The, uh, the, I'm not getting into the, uh, you know, a whole bunch of political support. What I will tell you is this. There is a very real need for wisdom because we're judging things based on emotion. We're judging things based on opinion. We're judging things based on personal convictions. And it's creating schisms within the church because we're approaching things from a natural mind and you can't do it. You'll end up in the, no matter what side of things you're on, you'll end up in a confusion and a deception and you don't need to be. And so we, we need a very uh, real baptism with the spirit of wisdom and counsel. And so what was happening, you know, the part of me when I'm looking at I'm and hearing this dream, I'm like, I, that's me. I would have dove in. <laughs> it's a river. I like to swim. I was getting ready to do a God thing. But if you approach a God thing without wisdom... Jesus commissioned us to baptize. 
You can approach a God thing without wisdom and end up harming yourself trying to do something good because you didn't carry wisdom with you. And so Proverbs lets us know things like, if you're going to have a friendship, that's fine, but have wisdom first. (laughs) If you're going to have a marriage, but have wisdom first. A business, but have wisdom first. Whatever it is that you're involved in, have wisdom first. Because what you go into with wisdom, you'll be able to sustain, and you'll see the, the, the building up, the establishment, the manifestation of the spirit of what God wanted to do on the highest level because we entered into it with wisdom and so what was available for me was counsel and I should have heard the counsel listened to the counsel so that we could have measured the river in that space and it wouldn't have swallowed me up and we could have enjoyed what Jesus had commissioned us to do because I could have survived the thing because I entered into the moment with wisdom And so every moment, even moments in the spirit, we need a spirit of wisdom and godly counsel. Not just folks. Holy Ghost counsel. And so we we talk a lot and think a lot, but we don't listen well. Amen. And so you can enter God moments without wisdom and do a man thing and end up with a mixed up mess of stuff that doesn't edify or help anybody. Let me give you an example real quick. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is being glorified right there on the mountain. Moses is on one side, Elijah's on the other. Uh, the, the law, the prophets, they're bearing witness of the righteousness of God, which is Jesus. And so the three of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they're up on the mountain with him, and they fall asleep in church. And so Jesus, his clothes were radiating glory. You've got guys who have been gone for hundreds of years, showed up to hang out with Jesus, and they fell asleep. But they wake up in the middle of church. So God's having a God moment like God does, and those who fell asleep wake up in the middle of a God moment. And the first thing Peter wants to do, Let's build three tabernacles and God from heaven, boo. It's an awful idea. Peter wakes up in the middle of a God moment and tries to do a man thing. And so he's wanting to build a tabernacle for a law that Jesus is fulfilling to establish a new covenant and a prophet, a prophetic system that's getting ready to be fulfilled to establish a new covenant. And he's wanting to build something else that would try to carry glory. And you can't carry glory in that because it was imperfect. The law was perfect itself, but it was imperfect in its work in us. Hear me. Mm. Listen, so what happens, he wakes up in the middle of a God moment without wisdom and he wants to build something human to contain something spiritual. And so what God says is, this is my son. Hear him. In this moment, you need his wisdom, his counsel, his direction, his words, because he's, he's got what's needed for the moment that we're in. That makes sense? And so what I did was I, in the dream, I entered into a God moment without hearing the counsel that was necessary to be able to step into the moment and get the greatest benefit out of it. And what happened was I was never seen or heard from again. Now that sounds horrible. You don't want to enter into a God moment and disappear unless it's like Enoch and then you just disappear into a bigger moment. Amen. 
And so there, there's a, a real need for a spirit of wisdom and counsel so that we can enjoy the God moments and not squander the moments. You've got the Holy Ghost, Paul said. Now, do what you do for the building up of people. In other words, be good stewards, not controlling the Holy Spirit, but managing properly what you have in the Holy Ghost. So everything that you do, be done for building up. He said, you do it, don't do it, you know, for something personal. Do it to make sure, just motivated by love. Amen. So anyway, let me get second dream. In, in the second dream, uh, my, my friend was at Hobby Lobby, hallelujah, and was getting ready to buy some stuff. Approached the counter and pulled out a credit card. It came to about $30. Pulled out a credit card and was getting ready to pay. And I came up behind them and said, wait a minute, Um, don't do that. Because I just got a word from the Lord that I need to go back there and turn my face to the wall and pray. And she said, immediately you went back to the wall and as soon as you begin to pray, you turn around, came straight back and there was an envelope that was filled with nothing but hundreds and fifties. Well, I can get a witness on that. And she said, you pulled out a 50 and handed me that and said, here, use this. And so when I took it to prayer, you don't go to Hobby Lobby because you need stuff. You go, you go to Hobby Lobby because you want stuff. Amen. You don't need that. Now, I'm not saying that as a word. I'm just telling you. I'm not saying it from the Lord, but I'm telling you, you don't need that. I, I, li- I, like the Star- I like the Star Wars stuff. I could take a 12-foot tall Darth Vader home with me. But it's, but it's not something that I've got to have. Amen. It's not something I, I need. And so the, the thing was, she was getting ready to go into debt to get something that really wasn't, listen, it really wasn't a need, but it was a desire. Hobby Lobby is about Desire more than it is about necessity because it's not food it's not clothing it's not it's not uh, uh, it's not housing it's not a covering you hear me it, this is it's just excess and so she's getting ready to charge something and have to pay later when there was something already available now and so instead of putting off what was desired later, just going ahead and taking what was in the provision now, it'll cost you later, but it wouldn't cost you in the now. The only thing that I had to do was turn my face to the wall. Now you remember when Hezekiah had been given by a prophet, a word from the Lord that said, you're going to die and not live. God gave that word to him and God didn't lie about it. He said, get everything in order, you're going to die and you're not going to live. And the Bible said that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. In that culture, the couches that they would recline on were on the eastern side of the room. And so if a king was showing emotion, he would turn his face toward the wall so that the people in the room couldn't see him being overwhelmed by his own emotion. And so the reason they would turn to the east is so that the, that flesh and blood couldn't see them in, a, in an emotional moment, but they were turning their face in the direction of the temple, in the direction of the presence. 
And so the, what was key here is that there was some excess, some overflow, some abundance, just some desired things that she was getting ready to purchase, but it was going to cost something in the future. What God was trying to get her to understand is this, that if you'll turn your face into the presence, there's some provision that's already available. And instead of having your sights just fixed on what you, would, what you necessarily need, there's some desires that God's got for us in the body of Christ. And we're getting so distracted by everything we're seeing on the news that we just live and trying to survive in the necessities and Jesus is trying to get our attention and say there's some stuff that you don't necessarily need but you want it and I've got some things for you and it's not going to cost you just get in the presence and in the presence you're going to find everything with excess for what you need whatsoever things you desire when you pray believe you receive them and you'll have them Now, I'm not calling it a Hobby Lobby anointing. We, we ain't on Christian TV. And I, ain't got, I, I don't have no Hobby Lobby, you know, prayer cloth for you. I don't have a Hobby Lobby anointing that will require a Hobby Lobby offering. But I'm just telling you that there's some things that are not necessities. And God's wanting to do a superabundance of things in this hour, in this day. And if we get convinced that this is an evil day in the kingdom then we're going to miss out on a whole lot of stuff. It, it may be an evil day in the earth, but it, it's not an evil day in the kingdom. Amen. God, so God's got some excess for us. He's got some, some, some good, good stuff for us. All right, go to Matthew chapter, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And uh, I, I want to talk to you just for a few moments. I am looking at the clock just so you know it. And uh, you can calm yourself. If you're worried about me going way over, um, but I, I've got I've got something I need to share with you in Matthew chapter four, and you're going to recognize you're going to recognize these verses. Uh, these these I, I gather so much out of chapter three and chapter four, and uh, in chapter four verse one it said, "Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil." And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. Don't get nervous. I'm not calling you on a 40-day fast. I'm just reading. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And watch that. If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you. In your hands they will bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, It is written again, You will not tempt the Lord your God. Or you will not tempt the Lord, yeah, your God. Again, the devil takes him to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, the glory of them, and said unto him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, you will worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. And the scripture goes on to say that Jesus left out of that wilderness place, filled with the Holy Spirit, went in and began to preach his inaugural uh, address where he uh, declares himself to be the one anointed by the Holy Spirit. Two out of the three things. Now, the scripture says that for 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus was tempted. So I don't believe that the only temptations that he had were just these three things that were mentioned. 
I believe the scripture that the entire 40 days and 40 nights that he was constantly being presented with some things. But there's something here that stuck out to me just in the, in the, last, in the last year that, that I want us to look at because I believe that the temptation wasn't just about turning rocks into bread or, you know, throwing yourself down and letting the angels catch you or bowing down and worshiping the devil so you can get all the kingdoms of the world. I, I, I believe there's a, a temptation here where the enemy is, is working ever so... Uh, deceitfully to sow something in Jesus' mind or attempt to in order to get him to falter. And I'm not talking about falling into sin, but there's a temptation here. Two out of the three times that this was mentioned, we see these statements. If you be the son of God. Now we know in the previous chapter, when Jesus was baptized of John in the Jordan River, that he came up out of the water, and as soon as he came out of the water, the Bible said that the heavens opened, and God spoke from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon Jesus like a dove and landed on him and stayed. And so... John said, we see it in the, the Apostle John's record, said John the Baptist said, God told me that the one you see the Spirit come upon and remain, that's the one that you've been looking for. And so when he's filled with the Holy Spirit here, and he hears these words, if you be the Son of God, and he goes into the wilderness in a 40-day fast, and the enemy begins to tempt him, and two out of the three things that were recorded, the devil says this, if you be the Son. And so God says, this is my Son. The devil says, if you are the son. So the father gives him a, an identity and immediately the enemy begins to challenge it. And so I believe part of the temptation that you're looking at is the temptation to doubt what the father has identified you as. To doubt what God has said about you. Because it's not just about sin here. It's about losing your identity. Adam lost it through sin. But there's other ways that the enemy will look to try to work on us, to try to pull us away from the best that God has for us. And one of the things that will do is the moment you begin to hear God say, this is who you are, the enemy will immediately come with a challenge and begin to just pose the question, if you are. In other words, just let me sow a little doubt here. Because he didn't say you are. Now there were demons who said, we know who you are. But the devil said, if you are who he said you are, if you are. You remember in Revelation 12, when he talked about Satan being the accuser of the brethren? Accusation is not just about accusing you of sin. It's about accusing you of being something less than what God has said you are. Because it casts you in a light that's different than what the judge of heaven and earth has declared you to be. And so through Jesus' ministry, you don't find the devil tempting him with these things. But do you remember 
when Jesus was getting ready to, he was being tried, and they came and they slapped him upside the face, and they said, now prophesy to us, if you are the Christ, the Son of God, just go ahead and say it plainly, go ahead and let us know, reveal to us who you are. If you are who you claim to be, then show us through this sign or this wonder. You remember when he was hanging on the cross, and one of the thieves looked over, and he said, if you are the Son of God, then save yourself and us. Do you realize that this wasn't just human beings talking that the enemy was working on the minds of this on the mind of this thief to just continue to sow it in the mind if you are because God already said you are and so whenever they would approach Jesus you would find all through the gospels different times where the challenge was this if you are who you claim to be if you are the son of God because once God says you are You've got to know that you are. But if the enemy can, 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 can cover a, a, a doubt, a fear, a concern, and begin to sow that into your mind, to begin to challenge in your mind the, the validity of what God has said about you, the validity about what God has said you're called to be, the, how valid and, and qualified you are as a believer. If, you, if he can get you into a place where you begin to, to waver on it, He's moved you out of a place of faith, and, and now you're, you're, just, you're just like a ship in a storm. And so what the enemy was looking to do was to sow something by way of doubt in his mind to start to question. But this is Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. He also tried to tempt him with sin. Amen. If you are who he said you were. And so if he'll do that with him, He'll do that with you. And we miss divine moments all the time because we carry something by way of doubt in not in necessarily who God is, but in who he claims us to be. And so we, we almost miss, and sometimes we completely miss divine moments because the enemy was able to sow something in the mind to make us believe that you're not qualified for this moment. You're not qualified to move in this anointing. You're not qualified for this calling. You're not qualified for this position. You're not qualified to be this person. You're not qualified to be a child of God. And if he can get you to doubt it, then you'll live a life without confidence and boldness and assurance that you are who God says you are. It'll hurt your prayer life. It'll hurt your time in the Word. It'll hurt your relationship with other believers. It'll hurt your relationship in, in, in the ministry and the grace gifts that God's placed in your life. If God says you are, you are. But it only works for you if you believe it. And the moment the enemy can get you to a place to where you start to wonder, not necessarily about God, but about you. I don't doubt God's ability to answer prayer. You know where we struggled? I'm the one who's approaching the throne. I know what I did when they cut me off in traffic the other day. That was not a one way to Jesus sign. I didn't do it. I was talking about some of y'all. You wasn't singing Amazing Grace when your favorite football team lost this weekend. Amen. I hit a nerve over there. I'm going to come over here. 
Amen. <laughs> you, no, you, I know my frame, and you know yours. And so then all of a sudden, uh, uh, an emergency comes up, something happens, somebody calls on us and they need us, and there's something on the inside that keeps whispering to you or screaming in, inside you that you're not qualified to help them, you don't have the ability to help them, and you need to go wait two or three days until you get it all together before you're able to help anybody. What are you waiting for? I, nobody wants to tell you, but you've been this crazy for years. If you keep waiting, you're going to be on the other side of glory. <laughs> no need to wait. Just believe what he says you are. Believe who he says you to be. And so the temptation wasn't just about do this and let, let, go ahead and fall like Adam did. Let me put in your mind that you're not who he says you are. Because if that's the case, you'll begin to question everything that you're getting ready to say, everything you're getting ready to do, everything that you would be capable of being and doing. Because you heard the words, if you are. And so we miss moments because we don't feel like we're qualified for the moment. You, in Matthew 3, we see it with John the Baptist. Jesus shows up to be baptized. And so when he shows up, John says... Uh-uh. No, no. He said, I have need to be baptized of you. Because he's already preached that message. His shoe latchet, I'm not even worthy to unloose. I'm not worthy to tie his shoe. I'm not worthy to kiss his feet. I'm not worthy to... The, the dirtiest part of somebody's uh, anatomy in that culture, one of the dirtiest. I'm not even worthy to mess with... Uh-uh. He said, I can't baptize you. Watch what Jesus said. Suffer it to be so. Or in other words, yield to it. For now, because we have to fulfill what's right. In other words, this was set up by the Father. And this is no time for you to get all into a mess where you think because you're baptizing me that you're not qualified to do it. He said, I need you to yield to it because this is the righteous plan of Jehovah. And we've got to make sure that what the Father wants gets done. And he chose you to do the job. This is not a time for you to pull back because you don't feel worthy for the moment. And so because he yielded to the moment and overrode his feeling of inadequacy in the moment and did simply what God wanted him to do, the heavens opened above his head. The Holy Ghost manifested in the earth. God spoke in an audible voice from heaven. There are heaven-opening moments. There are these Holy Spirit invasion moments. There are these power-packed moments in the kingdom where God wants to invade the earth realm and he's wanting to do it through us, but we're sitting back here hearing but I don't know if I'm qualified I don't feel like I've got the ability I don't feel like I've got the training I'm not the there's an inadequacy in me that I feel and in the moments like this I feel it even more when I'm seeing Jesus and I'm seeing me but what Jesus is needing me to learn to do is just yield to me in the moment because if you'll yield to me in the moment heaven will do something that will help you know you're not the disqualified God just needed him to yield and how many things has God been trying to get you to do you carried a scripture on a piece of paper in your Bible for two weeks trying to get the nerve to give that scripture to somebody you've been praying for what if I miss it it's a scripture 
It's not a snake. It's a Bible verse. If you miss it, then keep going after him until you don't. It doesn't make you wicked. It doesn't make you evil. It meant that you had a passion to help somebody. You felt like it was something you needed to do. Okay, if you miss it, you miss it. At least they know you were praying for them. We're so afraid of messing up the will that we don't yield our will. Because we think that God's going to get so angry if we mess something up. You don't get in trouble for messing up, trying to, or accidentally messing it up. You know when we get in trouble? When you rebel against it. Amen. I ain't talking about God. I'm just telling you. You don't want to carry around something you know you're supposed to be doing. And you've told God no. You're not telling him no. You're just, you're wanting to yield. What he's looking for is for people to bring your inadequacies. Bring what you don't feel like you've got to offer. Bring the thing in that eats at you the most about yourself. And you'll find that all through scripture, everybody that God ever used approached a moment where they said, I'm not worthy for the moment that I'm in. And yet God used those people to do amazing divine things in the earth. Jeremiah, before you were even in the womb, I knew you. I called you. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Hold on. Now, Lord, I'm young. I'm just a child. Lord, I don't know if you know this creator of all things. I I, I don't even have my license yet. I'm not old enough to get a learner's permit. Mama won't even let me get the toy out of the bottom of a cereal box. Do they do that anymore? I just dated myself. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. And so for him, it was an age thing. What'd God say? Hold your pee. Shut up. You're not too young. He said, you're going to do the thing that I've called you to. Because he's talking about prophesying to nations. He's still prophesying to nations. He just, God just needed to get him over that and so he asked him, he said, what do you see? Oh, I see the rod of an almond tree. You have seen correctly. Do you realize that sometimes if you'll just yield and, and forget your inadequacy, that God will begin to work with you to help build confidence that's needed? And so when he said, I'm too young, he said, shut up, don't say that. What do you see? I see the rod of an almond tree. You saw right. I did. Woo! God, and God said, I'm going to hasten my word to perform this. In other words, I'm going to make it happen. I needed you to see it and say it, and I'll do it. But I'm young. Shut up about it. You just... Moses, I'm not a man of words. I'm not a man of eloquent speech. God said, don't say that. God's forever saying, don't say it. Yield, just yield. Just yield. Just go with it. Just know that I know what I'm doing. I, I, but I'm not a man of eloquent speech. Let, let Aaron be my mouthpiece. Let somebody else do the job because there's something in me that doesn't feel qualified. 
Maybe it's a murder I've got on my conscience. Maybe it's the, the enslavement of my own people that I was involved in. Maybe it's all kinds of other things that Moses was, was carrying into that, that burning bush moment where God is revealing to him who he truly is, who he always was destined to be. What, what was the reason that he was rescued? Out, out of Pharaoh's very own words, when he said, I want you to go in and wipe out a whole generation of children from five years and younger because we're going to kill the deliverer that's looking to be on the rise. The reason you were rescued was not because I wanted you to be in Pharaoh's house. I saved you, raised you up in an ungodly system to preserve you so that my people would have a leader and I've destined you before you were ever born to be that leader. And I don't need you to be eloquent in speech. I need you to be yielded in spirit. Because if you'll yield your spirit, I'll take a, a common tongue and I'll make you eloquent. I'll give you utterance. I'll give you wisdoms. I'll give you the things you need. Bring your inadequacies into the presence. But know this, if you'll yield it, heaven will open, the Holy Ghost will descend, and you'll see a divine moment unfold for you. They'll change you and your generation. If you'll do it with your inadequacies. If you are, no, no, I am who he says I am. So we miss moments because we get caught up in what we're not or what we're convinced we're not. And God has this thing about calling people to do things that they're the least qualified for. If I'm God, I'm not going to send the most educated, one of the four most educated men on the planet in Paul. I'm not sending him to the Gentiles where you have to take what you know and work it down to where Gentiles could understand it. I'm going to take Simon Peter because he's a mess anyway and uneducated according to Scripture. I'm going to send him to the ones who don't need an educated person. And I'm going to send the educated fella to go talk to the educated people. And God does the opposite. And so all of the training, all of the preparation, all of the schooling, all of the stuff, and then God releases you into something that you are never prepared for. Do you know Ezekiel was trained as a priest? Read it in chapter 1. Ezekiel was trained as a priest but called to be a prophet. So all those years of study and training, for God to say, I've called you not to be in the priesthood, but to prophesy. And so all of your priesthood training does you very little good. But what it does do is it reveals to you the mercy of God in the sacrificial system that God set up so that you know even when the nation gets in trouble, there's blood that can be shed that will bring mercy on the nation and you need mercy to temper that prophetic call on your life so you're not always prophesying judgment on folks. So God will train you in a place that's opposite of your spiritual David was a man of war. I'm just going to talk to you just a minute. I'm looking so you don't get nervous. Oh, yeah, we're good. I did that one time with a watch. The watch had been broke for two weeks. They didn't have any idea. I just kept looking. You could feel them calm down. I didn't have to say nothing. David was a man of war. So when God prepares him for the anointing, 
to be a ruler, a king, a judge, and a warrior. God prepares him with sheep. Where it requires a certain amount of tenderness, gentleness, and care. And so he's surrounded by sheep. The warrior gets a little taste once in a while when a lion or a bear comes out. But the rest of the time, he learns how to care for the flock. When you're wired for war, you need to be able to have a tender spot that God can pull on. And so David's a warrior, but at his heart, there's a shepherd there. So when God wants to deal with David, he doesn't speak to him in warrior tone. He appeals to the shepherd in him. So when David messed up and he saw Bathsheba, amen, he, messed up, he saw Bathsheba, they set up her husband's murder because David impregnates her. And so now he's got her pregnant and they're setting the thing up to have her husband killed and it works. And the prophet shows up to deal with David. And when he walks into the room, God doesn't speak a word to him that involves the warrior or the king. He says, King David, there was a man who had nothing, a poor man. All he had was this little lamb. And there's this wealthy man who had everything, but he wanted the lamb. And so he came in and he took that lamb from that poor man. David flew mad. Why? Because David understood what it meant to have a lamb. He understood. God's talking to him in shepherd talk. He's appealing to the shepherd in him. He said, there's a man. All he had was one lamb. And this man who had everything came in and took it. And David's heart began to, to stir him. He said, who is that man? I'm going to have him killed. And Nathan looked at me and said, you're the man. And it broke him. You know why? Because God spoke to him in the tender spot. God had to train the shepherd in him because when God needed him to flow prophetically, when God needed him to move in the spirit, he didn't just need a man who was wired for war and was ready to judge and destroy everything. He needed somebody who could draw on mercy and grace. You'll find David all the time. His mercy endures forever. You see a tenderness in his writings that, that would almost sound like it can't be that man. And then you read other Psalms and oh yeah, no, he's a man of war. But there's a tender place there. He was tempered with the sheep so that he could rule rightly as a leader. Train you as a shepherd, but I've called you to be a king. Train you as a priest, but I call you to be a prophet. You can't always go by your training to determine what you're called to. Sometimes God will, will train you in one thing to temper you for your calling. So I need the tenderness of the priest at work within the spirit of Ezekiel because he's a prophet and I don't want him being wicked, evil, or mean because you can take a good thing in the Holy Ghost and turn it into an abusive thing very quickly if you're not careful. You can feel the grief of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit feels grief sometimes when we don't love each other. When we're not kind toward one another, when we don't forgive one another, it grieves the Holy Spirit, Ephesians tells us. Amen. We don't want to grieve Him. When you feel the grief of the Holy Spirit, you've got to be real careful not to get pulled into it in such a way that you start getting angry and, and going after people. So the Holy Spirit's grieved because you're not walking in love and then you get out of love to... I'm going to 
give him a piece of my righteous indignation. Keep it. Just keep it. We don't need it. We got enough righteous indignation growing all over the place. You've sown those seeds everywhere you've been. Farmer righteous indignation. No, just keep it. What will it? He'll train you in one thing to temper you in the thing that you're really called to. So you can't read those signs. I must be a teacher. Been trained as a teacher, taught as a teacher, studied as a teacher. I love being a teacher. And then God calls you to be something different. What about all that teacher's training? Because he needed you as a student to be taught and to respect and honor that grace gift because you're going to need that to help temper the other gift and grace that you have in your life. We gravitate oftentimes to the thing that we're called to. And that's the reason why that oftentimes God will set us in a place that we didn't gravitate to. Not because he's trying to be cruel, but he's tempering you for another moment. And when you reach that moment, you'll feel like the most unqualified individual in the room. I want to tell you a story. We're going to pray. I'll give you a couple more scriptures so you don't think I, you know, don't have the Holy Ghost or anything. I was, I was invited, this was years, probably 20 years ago now, I was asked to be the guest speaker for the National Day of Prayer in the city of Detroit. And they had asked me to come and, and pray over the pastors of the city. And at that time, in the greater uh, Detroit area, there were 10,000 churches. 10,000. Storefront churches, house churches, I mean, there, but there was... 10, close to 10,000 churches in the greater Detroit area. So we were going to do some praying. And uh, I was living at a place called Turkey Creek, Kentucky. You all get presidents and governors and dead senators and all that. We get animals. Cow Creek, Turkey Creek, Turkey Toe. Oh yeah, right Turkey Toe and left Turkey Toe. That's a holler. Two hollers. That's a big turkey. You should have saw that 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 toast that foot stretched. It was everywhere. Buffalo Mountain. Never been a buffalo there in a million years. But there were goats. So there's a goat filled Buffalo Mountain and cowless Cow Creek. And never saw a turkey in Turkey Creek. Uh, I saw more mules there than anything. So the human kind and the animal kind. So it, you. You know, so anyway, so I, I, they, they invited me in, and I'm, I'm getting ready to be introduced, and I start to cringe because there are, there are people from the senator's office, the governor's office. We had ambassadors there from a, a couple of different countries. There, there were, uh, I mean, every, and I came four miles out of a holler living in a small trailer with an invitation to be the guest speaker and prayer at the National Day of Prayer in the city of Detroit. And when they called my name and they said, from, I just sunk into my seat because I knew Turkey Creek, Kentucky was coming. And I thought, I'm going to move as soon as I get home. Because... <laughs> When I met Pastor Brent, I was living in Del Barton, and at that time, I think they had 367 people in the town, the whole town, the whole town. There's maybe a few less now, 
funerals. Small town, small everything. And get brought into an environment that I wasn't prepared for. Nobody taught me how to dress for those moments. Nobody taught me how to speak into those moments. Nobody taught me anything about how to prepare to stand before people who were a little more dignified than myself. And I'm standing here in the, a place and I'm, I'm sweating profusely because I'm, I'm terrified. Because everything in me tells me you should have stayed back in Turkey Creek where you belong. Because you're not ready for this. And as I began to pray in the Holy Ghost, something just started to well up on the inside. And I just told the Lord, I said, I need you every day, but I need you right now. And when I took the mic and just began to exhort them just for, for a moment, as we begin to pray, the presence of God filled that room. And in the midst of all these dignitaries, the power of God moved in this government building. And I'm standing there weeping as I'm watching this lady over here, who was a council member, jumps up and takes off running, shouting around the... And this one over here falls down on their face and begins to weep. The presence of God begins to... I just went back and sat in my seat. And watch the Holy Ghost begin to move. God didn't need me to wow them with my presence or which holler or city or town that I came from. All he needed me to do was just simply yield to him in the moment and say what he inspired me to say and understand that he's not needing me to, to be qualified here. He's needing me to just yield to what he's qualified with me here and have enough here to say just go with it and trust God to do what it is that he said he would do. Because it's not us that does it. When Jesus can say this, and we're going to end with this, when Jesus says this, I can of my own self do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches, the father's the husbandman, and you need to know that without me, you can't do anything. Just like the branch cannot bear fruit by itself he said you can't do it either except you abide in the vine if you're in me and my words are in you you're going to bring all kinds of fruit whatever you pray the father's going to make sure that this gets done for you so that he can be glorified in your fruitfulness if we're going to ex experience these divine moments on a greater scale not just in these gatherings but on your workplace in places where you feel the least qualified the places where they know who you used to be the places where they know all all of your history the places where you where, where they saw you when you got arrested they saw you when you failed they remembered you and how you messed it up if we're going to have divine moments we've got to learn to hear the words of Jesus just suffer it to be so now just yield to the moment because heaven is groaning waiting to open up and release something supernatural for you and God's just waiting on you to say yes to it and get beyond how you feel inadequate in it that's why when, when Paul said three times, he said, I had a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. It was a messenger. Came talking. What'd the devil do? Talking. What'd Goliath do? Came talking. What's the enemy do? He talks. Seeds that are being sown towards your mind, looking to see if the soil will open and receive it. He said, I had a messenger sent from Satan, and it buffeted me. Watch 
He said, three times I prayed, take this thorn out of my flesh. Get this, shut this messenger up. God didn't say no. God didn't deny his request. He just didn't answer it in the way that Paul thought he needed an answer. Paul was saying, take it away. What the Lord wanted him to do was to look inward at the grace that was in him. Because what God was saying to him when he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And so where you're weak, my strength rises. You don't need me to remove it. You need to get a revelation of who you are in the grace of God. And if you can learn to draw from the grace, you don't need me to move it. You understand you've got power over it all along. He didn't have to move the devil. Paul had grace to overcome what he was facing. He had grace. Strength is a grace from Jesus. God's not asking you to be strong. He's asking you to yield to his strength. The strongest place you'll ever be is to find yourself in your inadequacies completely, totally dependent upon the Holy Ghost. When God started giving me dreams and, 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 and things for years... Dreams about other nations, dreams about continents, dreams, the most beautiful faces I'd ever seen in my life. Del Barton, population 367, is not an international hub. No, God, why are you showing me this? I don't know anyone from there. My family that was from Syria, we haven't seen them no one's heard from them since the last war. I don't know anyone. I don't have connections. I don't have... And he spoke so, so clearly. He said, I know who you are. I know where you are. And I can take you anywhere in the world from here. Beam me up. Scotty. He said, I know who you are. I know where you are. And I can get you anywhere in the world from here. Because I thought that somehow I had to be able to work this out because God revealed it. And in reality, God would take the least qualified and say, I'm going to elevate you and move you into the place where you're going to have to so depend on me that everything that I do in your life will be recognized as supernatural. Where did he get that wisdom? He wasn't learned. Where did that come from? The Holy Ghost. I'm convinced that Samson was not some big bruiser. Because if he's some big bruiser, you don't have to ask him, where does your strength come from? Everybody wanted to know, how are you so strong? Well, if you look like you've been, you know, bench pressing sweet pickles buses. Y'all don't know what the hell, Lord have mercy, Jesus. You look like you've been bench pressing at 800 pounds. Nobody asks you, where did your strength come from? They see it. But when you some Barney Five skinny looking scrawling looking something coming in and you just ripped the gates off the city and you carried it up on a hill and you're shaking it they're going to um how's he doing that 
He shouldn't be able to get the pickle jar open, let alone pull the gates off the city and carry it up on the, on the hill. Uh, lady, can you let us, can you find out where his strength comes from? Hey, can you find out where his strength is coming from? Because there's nothing in the natural that indicates that he ought to be that strong. So there has to be something internal that we don't know about, and we've got to find the, the source of his strength and see if we can stop it, because what he has is not natural. It's not natural for a man that size to be able to take a jawbone and kill a thousand Philistines. It shouldn't be that somebody that looks like that be able to destroy as much as he can because his strength wasn't natural. And so God will call you to do the thing that will make people wonder. Samson was a sign and a wonder, not just because of his strength, but because of his inadequacy in the natural arena that required. It was when the Holy Ghost came on him that he saw victory. It wasn't when he just stood as a man. He didn't get up and handle those fights by himself. When the Spirit was on him, he could do anything to get victory. I'm just telling you, we are the same. We're not the big bruisers. We're not those that are the most adequate. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise are called. God chooses the base things of the world to confound the wise. He takes those weakened things to show the mighty that even in my weakness, there is a strength in me you don't know. And it comes from the power of the Holy Ghost. You're going to make it in this season and every season because the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. Your help comes from God. Your strength comes from Him. Your power comes from Him. Your wisdom comes from Him. Your healing comes from Him. Your deliverance comes from Him. God is your source. And in that place of weakness, you'll find the strength and the power of God Almighty. When, God's, when, when we went to Indonesia, you all have seen, I butcher the English language in an English country. My accent got in the way for a while. Many times I'm trying to tell a story and my interpreter's looking at me. So, no speaky. <laughs> so so I, had to, I had to, you know, I've been home for a few years, so I had to, to work on my enunciation and all that. Help us, Lord. No matter how many dreams I had, no matter how many books I had read, no matter how many... How many prayers I had prayed, I thought going into it that I had a faith that would match the environment I was going into. I didn't. I thought that I, I had a confidence going into that environment. And when I got there, I didn't. I thought that I was ready when I got there. And I found out that to my standards, I wasn't. And I would face things that I didn't know that I would face and have to draw on a faith that I didn't know was available. And I found in that environment where the points of my weaknesses were, and it forced me to have to yield to him. And it saved our lives. Because when you're on a, on a trip, and you hear a voice say, don't go, and you know it's him, and the place you were going, the ISIS, there was an ISIS attack on the lower level of the building where we were at. The blast went straight up where myself and, and my family would have been. We don't deal with ISIS in Dilbarton, population 367. We deal with Hatfields and McCoys, but we don't deal with ISIS. 
They don't prepare you for things. Like when, when your, your child gets hit with a disease and nobody around there has said they don't understand, they don't know what it is. You just know she's she, everywhere on her body. There was blotches all over her. We, she had had all of her shots. She had everything that she had, had needed. And she, this breaks out and she's in pain. And she had been in pain all day. And she comes in 1.32 in the morning and she's crying and she says, Daddy, it just hurts so bad. And I haven't been there long enough to be able to, to drive around and, and be able to maneuver around. Didn't have a car at the time. Had to depend on taxis. But I couldn't call a taxi because I couldn't speak the language. And I didn't have anybody at 1.32 in the morning that could help me. And if you get her to the hospital, you don't know what you're facing. And I had already prayed for half a dozen children that had had holes drilled in their head and were in comas. You don't want to take your child in for something minor and then they end up in a coma because somebody wants to drill a hole in their head. We don't have these problems in Del Barton, population 367. I didn't hear those stories. And when they're doing photo ops on Christian TV in their khaki pants and their blue shirt and all the village kids come out and everybody loves them. And you think that's the way it is until you're there. And when the village comes out, sometimes they've got machetes. And they're not happy to see you. And not everybody loves you. And you're in a spiritual climate that you're not used to. You're dealing with things in the, in the supernatural area that, that you're not ready for. And you wake up every day with that hounding voice saying, you missed it coming here. You've drugged your, ch your children all the way across the planet set them down in one of the more dangerous spots in the world. That, you did that to them. But I knew what he showed me. I knew the dreams that I'd had. I knew the burden that I had carried. I knew every time that I heard, the, 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 heard Indonesia, something would move in me and I'd weep. I knew how many nations that God had told me. And when I would hear those nations or hear a, a, a worship song about speaking to the nations, something in me would stir. I knew God did something there. But when you're standing in the place and you feel like the, everything, I, in every area, I'm inadequate. And now my little girl's looking at me, wanting me to fix it. And I believe in a healing God. But I've been, I've been wrestling for months on this. Every day hearing it, you shouldn't be here. We'll finish this story, we're going to pray. I promise. I said, baby, I want you to go to bed. I gave her a hug. She cringed because the hug hurt her. I said, you go ahead and go to bed. I said, I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going downstairs and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray until we see this thing break. And I went downstairs and I opened my Bible. And I don't even know where I turned it. I don't even know that I read something. And I told God, I said, I didn't ask for that dream it's your dream I didn't ask for the visions that's yours I didn't ask to come here you told me that this was where I needed to come and I felt it so much that then I began to ask when the time's right you see I'm ready just I'm here send me 
But you didn't send me here for my kids to die of disease. And you didn't send us here to get blown up in an ISIS attack. And you didn't send us here for us to go broke because the economy here in the States, particularly where we live, was tanking and 90-some percent of our support was coming out of coal country and the coal industry was taking a dive. You didn't send us here to go broke and to you didn't send us here to starve us. And you didn't send us here to be fruitless. This is your will. It's your purpose. It's your plan. I can't fix her. And so I'm appealing just based on your promise that you gave. I didn't ask you to be the healer. You declared yourself to be the God that heals us. And because you introduced yourself in that way, I believe that you can't lie to me and your nature is exactly what it says it is. And so I, I just, I, so I'm asking you according to your own word. My baby girl, the one that you love more than I do, is upstairs. She's hurting and she's sick. And I'm appealing to the court of heaven to move on my behalf because I've got a promise from you. And I can't can't fix this in her. I don't have the means. I don't have the money. I'm, I, I'm, I'm empty here, but I have you and you're the one that I'm coming to. And I, listen, I call it, I don't know every, there's probably devils I made up, sickness that don't exist. I went to holler at two. I, I hollered until I lost my voice. Went upstairs for over two and a half hours. I just made an appeal to heaven just based on the promise because I can't fix this. Next day, I had a check hit my account here that put us over. More importantly, I went upstairs. And when I got upstairs, my baby girl had went to bed, went to, went to sleep. And so one of them said, have you talked to Kylie? I said, no, go, go talk to her. Said, she okay? Just go talk to her. So I went in there and I turned the light on. I said, what happened? She said, Daddy, it worked. I said, what? She said, about five minutes after you went downstairs and started praying, the pain left and I turned the light on and she said, look, everything's, everything's perfect. She went in the other room. She said, it works. Look, it, it worked. Is it, what worked? It's gone. Look, everything's gone. I went down. So within five minutes, the Holy Ghost began to move. I couldn't fix her. I'm inadequate in that area. Even as a medical doctor, I don't know. It could have took days. But my physician did for me what I can't do for myself. Oh, I'm trying to tell you is this is that all through your life you're going to hear if you are but what we have to lean on is what God has said about himself and what God has said about you and if God has declared himself to be something you can take it to the bank if God's declared you to be something then you stand on that and refuse to move from it because the enemy would love to convince you that you're not qualified we wasn't the blood qualified us the Holy Ghost did but now you stand qualified a child of the living God if you are no not if he said you are this is my beloved not just as my boy I love him I care for him he means something to me why can I know that I can go into this thing and feel like the least qualified and know that I won't mess up a divine moment because I know he loves me enough to use me in spite of my inadequacies. And if I'll just yield to him right now, heaven will open, the Holy Ghost will move, and you'll begin to see the plan of God unfold, not just for one, but for nations. Everything changed at that baptism. Everything changed for America in that baptism, for Japan in that baptism, for Indonesia from that baptism because John got over himself and yielded in a divine moment. If you'll learn to yield when you feel like the least qualified, 
you'll find that God will show up with such power, such glory, such radiance, such goodness, that everyone will have to look and say, there's no way they did that. It has to be from Him. He gets glory. Honestly, when we learn how to yield our humanity to the divine grace of God and let Him work through us what we don't have the natural capability of doing. If you're able to stand, would you stand to your feet? Father, I thank you today that the blood has qualified us, that your love has qualified us. We thank you, Father, that we stand here. We stand here with our inadequacies and our natural weaknesses. We thank you that we can stand here and we're not the mighty, we're not the noble. We are the base. We've been the foolish things. But you love us in that state, in that condition. And you empower us to be what you've destined us to be. And Father, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus, because your word says this, when the accuser of the brethren would accuse the saints day and night, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, we thank you that the blood gives us power to shut down the accusation from the enemy that says, if you are. We thank you that the word of our witness, Jesus, that the word of our witness gives us power to say to the accuser who would say, if you are, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Mm. Listen to me. This is not just you testifying about God's goodness in church. It's your witness in a court. It's where you bear witness of what the judge has said. You bear witness of what the law has said. It's where you bear witness to truth. Mm. You don't want to go contrary to the witness of your lawyer. You and your lawyer need to be on the same page. And when, the, when your lawyer, when your advocate, when your mediator, when Jesus has declared you to be something, don't you confess anything other than what he has said. Don't you stand before heaven's court and listen to the accuser tell you something and you fall in line and you agree and give an amen to what the enemy's saying to you. You stand on the power of the blood and you stand as a witness that the blood has worked a work in you and you stand spotless, you stand cleansed, you stand purified by the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blood that cleanses us. We thank you for the blood that has cleansed us. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you. Lord, that the enemy who would dare to throw in an if where you have said you are. Father, we thank you that he's cast down right now. I pray, God, for anyone in this room that's been wrestling and struggling with those accusations from the enemy where he would challenge their, what you have said about them. Father, we thank you for freedom from that now in the mighty name of Jesus that the Holy Ghost breathes on them right now. And there is a liberty, a, a freedom that begins to come over them and move upon them. And every assignment of the enemy being broken by the authority of Jesus' name, we thank you that you loose them into peace. And this, this thing lifts from their mind, that it lifts from their heart. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. We don't have to be strong. We, we, we've just got to yield, and your strength is made perfect in us. And so we bless you and praise you and thank you. If you're here and you just haven't surrendered, you say, I haven't yielded myself to Jesus. I haven't surrendered my life to him. 
just call, call on him right there. You don't have to yell it out. You can whisper it. You can, come, you can come up here, pray. You can kneel down where you stand, where you are. Go outside. I don't care where you do it. But right now is a really good moment for you to open your heart and your mouth and just yield yourself to God and say, I just, I, I, everything you've done for me, I want it. I receive it right now. I want, I want to follow you. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. I want to know the destiny plan that you've got for my life. I want to know why I exist. I want to know your purpose for me. You just open your mouth and pray. God knows what you're trying to say. He knows how to communicate to you. You don't have to have a, a prayer down just right. He knows exactly what your heart's cry and need is. Just open your mouth. You call on him and he'll transform your life right now where you are. Now, Father, we thank you for your cleansing. We thank you for the forgiveness that was bought and paid for already for us on the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the work that you have already done. We thank you that you've given us an eternal. It is finished. And Father, we thank you that the work that was needed to obtain and receive my salvation was acquired by you on the cross in your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you that we can be sons and daughters of God because of you. And we love you and we praise you and we thank you today for your goodness. Now, if somebody could get some music just for a moment, I want to I pray for you. I'm going to lay hands on you. But if, you, if you've got a, a sickness or a pain going on in, in your body, I, I want you just to put your hand on your, on your stomach right now. And we're going we're gonna to pray a prayer right, right here in just a moment. And I'm, I'm going to believe God to touch you. We don't have to have hands laid on nobody. Psalm 107, 20 said he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from destruction. And we see it over in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus spoke a word and a servant who was miles away experienced a touch from God just by a spoken word. You know, the Holy Spirit will fill a room. In Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost came, and said, and they were all filled, but they, they were only all filled, he said, when the Holy Spirit came as the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and he filled all the house where they were sitting. I know it's not about the building, but he'll fill a space. And because we're here, he fills this space. And if you, you need a healing, if you don't, just, uh, just go ahead and release some, some worship before the Lord right now. Uh, I, because I, I feel like he, he wants to, to do something a little more by way of manifestation. And uh, he wants to touch some people today. And we've got authority and power in the name of Jesus to minister healing to the sick. Jesus' presence is healing. It's a healing presence. His power is a healing power. His words are healing words. Even His garments carry virtue and power that would flow from it. You need a healing? Then you need Him. His nature is healing. Heaven can't be sick because His presence permeates every place. His presence will permeate yours. You need a touch from Jesus? Just put your hand on your stomach right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you. There we go. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for thyroids being healed. You need a touch in your thyroid. Put your hand on your belly. Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. 
that your presence is moving through them right now and you're healing and touching and renewing that thyroid in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I thank you for virtue that flows through them right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, whatever pain they may have had, whatever pain they may have felt during this service, I pray, Father, that you move upon them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, just receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' precious name. Let your healing flow, Lord. Let your healing flow, Lord. Can you worship him just for a moment? Just bless him just for a moment. Just for a moment. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for healing that's moving through their physical frame. I thank you, Lord, that every cell is made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that every part of their body is being touched and healed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we receive that healing that's made available for us in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to live with this. We don't have to suffer with this. I thank you that you took stripes in your back for our healing. And we receive it now in the mighty name of Jesus. The blood and the body has purchased our healing. And we receive it right now in Jesus' name. So pain, lift from them. Diseases, go from them. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that anxieties and fears and worries are being overwhelmed by the peace of God right now. Peace. Peace be to you. Peace in the name of Jesus. Peace in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, God hasn't changed his mind about you, not even a little. You are who he says you are. You are who he says you are. You are who he says you were. You are who he says you will be. In the right now, you are. In the right now. You are, because he's already declared that you are. But I'm not. Oh, yes, you are, because he says you are. Go forth with boldness and confidence and assurance, knowing that God has called you, empowered you, anointed you, and graced you for the assignment that he created you for. And go with boldness, knowing that everything you need, you have. Father, I thank you for opportunities and doors being opened. Lord, effectual doors to manifest the, the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ in every place. I thank you that every individual in this place, Father, that, that carries that, that grace and that anointing. I thank you, Lord, that everyone that needs opportunity open, open it for them. Give space for their grace to flow into the lives of people. Give space for them to be able to yield into a divine moment. Give space for us to be able to depend upon you and your presence in, in our everyday. We thank you. 
because we got Hobby Lobby moments coming for us, desires that you place within us. And we thank you, Father, that there's excesses that you've got for your children, not to just live in the, in the settling for, for whatever survives us. Father, we thank you and we praise you that there's excesses available in the name of Jesus. Excesses available in Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, I'm not wasting time. I'm just waiting for, for a moment. If you can just worship, just for a moment. Just for a moment. Jesus, we bless you. Blessed are those, blessed are those who have not yielded to the voice of the prognosticators who declared the curse and doom and gloom and darkness to descend upon all the people. Blessed are those who have believed the good news. Blessed are those who have, who have smelled the fragrance of the fresh oil that I would pour out upon this nation. Blessed are those who have not listened to the lying spirits that would declare destruction where I have declared you are repairs of the breach, rebuild. Blessed are those who would dare to believe the word of the Lord, the word of hope, the word of blessing, the word of faith, the word of confidence to know that God still loves, that the God of heaven still loves, and the God of heaven pours forth much grace in great abundance. Blessed are those who have stood and prophesied the word of the Lord of hope and restoration and recovery in the midst of unclean lips who would declare the destruction of the people whom I love. Blessed are those who have stood because they shall see. And that the days ahead, while you hear the prognosticators continue to speak forth lies, press in, press in, move in, yield in to the presence, eh, yield in to the presence and hear the voice of hope and hear the voice of encouragement and hear the voice of restoration and hear the voices of recovery and hear the, the voices of, of rebuilding and hear the voices, the voices that would see the future and be bold to declare that fresh oil and fresh anointing will visit the nation. Blessed are those who have seen and declared it for they'll see it. Maya de Cretin de Moshe Crete be his I'm telling you, there's a, a fragrance of a fresh oil. A fresh oil. Not some stagnant something, not some yesteryear. There's a fresh oil. There's a fresh anointing. Shut your ears to the things that would lie to you. Shut your eyes to the things that would lie to you. Shut your heart down to the things that would lie to you. And open your heart to see and hear and know the things that God would speak to His people. God needs His people in hope. He needs us in a place where we see the future through His lenses. And I want to prophesy this to you. We squandered vision moments last year. 
because we just thought it was about vision in the future it has always been about focus I gotta say this I'm gonna quit Jesus took spit and dirt and anointed a man's eyes and asked him what he sees he said I see men as trees walking I ain't gonna preach again hear this Jesus led him out to another place and he anoints him again and the Bible said his eyes were opened his eyes were not open until they were focused he could see men but they look like trees you marry somebody they look like an oak tree to you your eyes are messed up and so even though he was anointed he saw something but he wasn't focused in to be able to identify and interpret what it was and so Jesus brought a secondary anointing to open his eyes so that he could focus. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, moving into this year and this season, it's not just about vision for the future. It's about focusing on Jesus and focusing on the things that matter and focusing on the things the Spirit's saying. And as, as that anointing comes, we'll regain our focus. When your focus comes, you'll be able to have clear direction to move on into the visions of the future. We're out of focus. Yet we're out of focus. Father, we make the adjustment right now. We just yield to it in Jesus' name. Set our eyes, anoint our eyes with eyes half that we may see. Release that anointing. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus to open our eyes to see with wisdom, with knowledge, with understanding, with counsel. I thank you, Father, for the grace of the Lord Jesus flowing through and opening our eyes. And we see clearly in Jesus' name. And we praise you and we bless you. And we thank you for it. For your deliverance, for your healing, for your grace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let me ask you to go ahead and be seated real quick. Thank you, Lord.